So one of the things I do, for example, in handovers is I'll actually go around and introduce myself by name, tell people a little bit about myself and my interests. And I'll also try and get new colleagues to do the same. So at least we know each other by name. And we do know from validated tools that even just knowing the names of people in your team helps people to then feel they can come and speak back to you later on. You're listening to Medical Protection Podcast Real World Series. My name is Jalen Simsek and I'm a case manager in London. In this episode, we will be joined by Dr. Najib Rahman to discuss diagnostic error and diagnostic safety. Dr. Najib Rahman studied, trained and worked in the UK, obtaining his primary medical degree from the University of Leeds. He holds a diploma in humanitarian assistance, a master's in public health, and has a special interest in global emergency medicine and humanitarian assistance. He currently works as a consultant in emergency medicine in Leeds and is additionally a trustee of Doctors Worldwide, a UK-based international medical charity. He's additionally a member of the Royal College's Global Emergency Medicine Committee, as well as the Emergency Medicine and Public Health Special Interest Group. Thank you for joining us on our new episode. I would like to start with a simple question that we can build on. Uh, What is the impact of pressure on diagnostic error? Um, Thanks, Jalen, for inviting me and for the question. Um, So I think this is a challenging one, isn't it? Because, you know, first of all, it's hard to try and define what pressure is and then to try and begin to unpick what that means in terms of diagnostic error. So when we look at some of the evidence that's out there and some of the publications, we always hear this term, you know, the NHS or health systems are under pressure. But is there actually a metric in what we can measure it? Uh, And how do we begin to define it? And actually, a lot of the time, I don't think we, we often acknowledge what its impact is. What we probably can say is that it's multifactorial, And it means looking at a range of metrics from a range of different performance issues. And it's linked to performance delays as well as increased demand and therefore access to care and treatment. So when we look at that continuity between increased demand, reduced resource, reduced access, we can then begin to try and understand, well, where can error be introduced into that mix? So that's probably a bit of a long-winded answer to quite a complex question, I think. Yeah, I think that's really helpful for our listeners. Um, And because you've mentioned continuity, and I'm sure continuity of care is really important within teams as well, I'd like to get personal for a second. You've recently assisted with the earthquake aid for Turkey and Syria in terms of humanitarian assistance, uh, which was a tragic incident. So I would like to extend our condolences to all those that have suffered due to this. Um, With that said, responding to an earthquake is another high-pressure environment, given the importance of responding quickly and efficiently uh, within a team. Uh, Did you notice what the features were of a successful team through that or through your other personal experiences with your work? Oh, that's a fantastic question. Actually, I think that that really drills home to some of the protective factors about minimizing error, and that's good functioning team. When we think about some of the principles of you know, effective team working, we need to think about having shared goals, about having clear roles that are defined, trusting your team members, impactful and effective communication, and very importantly, actually having some measurable processes and some measurable outcomes. And so when we look at humanitarian response, that's, again, one of the key things. It's about having really powerful 
coordination mechanisms that bring together the stakeholders to allow shared information, allocation of resources and responsibilities. I mean, you mentioned the, the earthquake in Turkey. And in fact, speaking to colleagues there, certain agencies had very defined roles of what support they're meant to deliver. Some were only focusing on food, some were only focusing on health, some were only focusing on shelter. Obviously, that's at a, at a large humanitarian level. If we bring this back down within a healthcare system, whether it be in a hospitalized setting or a primary care setting, similarly, I think it's about trying to understand what are the goals we're trying to achieve and who's going to take a bit of accountability for delivering that uh, and ensuring those lines of communication and feedback are always open and that people don't feel worried about sharing information or updates or new information. I think that's one of the key things linked to team working is leadership, that we actually encourage people to speak up and to raise their concerns and highlight their views, because that's the only way we start to identify some of the gaps and minimize the risk of error. Because you've mentioned uh, the, the importance of feedback, what would you say is uh, something that we can encourage within a team, especially for our junior doctor or junior listeners? How would you encourage that feedback, if, especially if they are feeling ashamed or embarrassed to seek that out? Sure. So I, I think a lot of this then relies on culture and, you know, how do we as I guess, so from my role as a, as a consultant, how do I ensure that try and, and model an appropriate safety culture, which encourages people to speak up. So one of the things I do, for example, in handovers, is I'll actually go around and introduce myself by name, tell people a little bit about myself and my interests. And I'll also try and get new colleagues to do the same. So at least we know each other by name. And we do know from validated tools that even just knowing the names of people in your team helps people to then feel they can come and speak back to you later on. I also invite people, I often tell people during handovers, look, look, we all need to have each other's back. It's a busy department. You know, we are going to make mistakes unless we have each other's back. I might make mistakes. I want people to feel they can stop me and highlight any errors before I make them. And similarly, if you've got any concerns, please do speak up. So I think, again, it's about modeling those behaviors, about encouraging people to speak up, recognizing our fallibility in complex healthcare systems, um, and that we need to work together to minimize risk and harm to patients. And having that collegiality by knowing each other by name, I think is another really powerful way. That, that's really helpful. Thank you. So I think that feeds really nicely onto our next question, which is what can we do to prevent further errors and delays in our systems uh, that are currently dealing with extreme pressures? Yeah, so that's a really tough one. And I think if perhaps, perhaps if people knew a good answer, it would have been sorted out already. <laughs> but, but I guess there are some things we can do to improve um, how, we, how we respond to, to such pressure. So I think when we look at trying to mitigate the impacts of prolonged delays, we recognize that continuity of care is one of the first casualties of prolonged delays, right? You have multiple handovers between teams and staff. So to, to mitigate against the impact, I really think it's important to highlight uh, the positive effect of handovers and handover culture in minimizing the risk of patients. The other aspect that can work quite well particularly with multidisciplinary teams where you might be working with other members of staff, nursing staff or allied health workers or even other specialties, is to have regular safety huddles. So this just means coming together for a few minutes to go through your patient list to make sure that 
patients uh, that you're worried about or have had, you know, the uh, conditions of the highest concern of acuity, that you're all on that same page in terms of what the goals and outcomes are. So, so those are kind of a couple of ideas, I think, that we can introduce into improving safety. You mentioned the continuity of care and actually through my own work as a case manager, I do see many cases where um, continuity of care through handovers, both uh, written and verbal, uh, have been a contributing factor to diagnostic error, especially if it's in a high pressure setting as well, uh, where people might not have the time uh, to go back or they might just simply forget it's it's human error um, to do that. And when you mentioned safety huddles, I did think it was quite interesting that there is a system for that. And I wonder if it would be uh, helpful to have appointed individuals to also uh, where you can approach them and discuss any errors that have been made um, and whether potentially these safety huddles uh, provide uh, for that safe environment to do that. Um, so I just want to also ask, what, what is the impact of delay to care? So again, this is one that similar to the whole question around increased pressure is quite a hard one to define. But there is increasing evidence of that impact. And I, I think part of it's deciding how do we measure outcome? There was a recent study looking at the impact of delays of emergency care on 30-day mortality. And what they found, that for every extra hour after, I think if you've waited five hours or, or more, there was almost an 8% increase in mortality on selected patients. So so I think uh, I'll have to find the reference for that. But, it, but essentially, it does show that the longer people wait before they're actually identified in terms of their conditions, they have delays to treatment, there is an inherent harm that occurs in the, you know, in the medium to short term. So yeah, so that's definitely something we need to be aware of. And I think then we need to figure out, well, how within that mix do we start to prioritize our workload to identify those higher risk individuals and to make sure that our interventions are are higher impact to reduce that potential harm because of delays. Thank you for that. That's that's really helpful. Um, And just moving on to our final question as well. Can you give any tips or recommendations for our listeners, um, especially our junior doctors or who are working under pressure and high pressure environments? Yeah. So I think the first thing I'd say is look after yourself. You know, I I think we, we recognize that fatigue really does impact our cognitive abilities. Um, perhaps people have heard of the, the the phrases HALT or DIPT. So HALT, H-A-L-T, stands for hungry, angry, late or tired. And that probably describes most of my shifts in A&E and part of the shift. And the other one is DIPT, which is distracted, interrupted or preoccupied. So I think recognizing our own selves and the impact that our environment has on us is really important uh, to make sure then we've taking those few minutes out if we need to after a difficult interaction. If we feel ourselves getting tired or hungry, taking that time out to make sure we're refreshed and ready to go back in. And so I think personal insight into your health and well-being is really important. The second thing is, is building those you know, collegial teams. So, so trying to, to really get to know who you're working with, um, understanding those personalities, knowing who you're on shift with, and being civil. I think being civil is really important. Everyone comes to work trying to do a good job. I know sometimes it can feel that we're, you know, pushing barriers amongst different specialties or colleagues. 
But I think reminding ourselves that we're there to try and do the best for the patient together in an integrated way might just help check sometimes before we say something, you know, in a way that might be perceived differently. So I think those are kind of two simple tips in terms of looking after yourself when you're on shift and trying to remain civil when you're on shift. And I guess the last point is also looking after yourself outside the shift, which means giving yourself time to reflect and debrief after you've had you know, time at work, whether that be, again, GP practice or whether that be within the work environment. There's been a lot of focus on well-being recently. I think, you know, and this is just a personal view reflecting on, again, that, uh, you know, the, the functionality of team working in humanitarian contexts or perhaps in military contexts compared to our day-to-day work and managing pressure. And I do think there's lessons to be learned from other sectors. We know that in other sectors, debriefing occurs within teams. So you almost kind of work as a team, you function as a team, you debrief as a team. I think working in healthcare currently, we end up working as a team within the hospital setting or within a practice, but actually we then go back to our own individual lives. And for many people that works fine, they can get time out to do sports or engaging in a hobby that helps them to to unwind and process things. But I think there is value sometimes in collectively debriefing. So I think if you have those positive relationships with your work colleagues, taking maybe five to 15 minutes out at the end of a shift or every day, just to talk through how that was, might actually help people's resilience and support. I know people don't often like the word resilience when it's so difficult, but, but I think it just helps people to then, you know, review what they've been through and help maintain their well-being in a collective way to keep going on in a pressured environment. Well, that has been a really insightful conversation, listeners, and I thought it was particularly interesting about the multitude of factors that bring together a great team. One of those being dependability, depending on each other to get the task done, to having the right expectations from each other, but also having a set goals and uh, expectations. And as Dr. Rahman mentioned, remaining civil. And with that, we have reached the end of today's podcast, A Dose of Pressure. If you're new to podcasts, maybe listening for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the channel to make listening easier in the future. You can access this podcast from all major apps, including Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. For more information about Medical Protection Society, or if you're already a member and would like a certificate for listening, please look for links in the podcast description. I've been your host, Jalen Simsek for Medical Protection. I hope you've enjoyed listening and taken something away that will be useful for both you and your patients.